Hello everyone and welcome to the Charming China podcast. My name is Isabel Sam and I've been working on various projects related to China for the past five years. I'm currently living in Shenzhen, the Silicon Valley of China, where tech giants emerge from startups and prototypes are made in minutes. On this show, I interview inspiring business owners and movers and shakers in the market. Today's guest is Nick, an e-commerce and branding specialist who tells us which important features to look for in a Chinese factory. He is such a knowledgeable and resourceful guy and we talk about the new stage of evolution regarding sourcing from China, where quality, design and look and feel matter most, with the goal to not only distribute but also brand a product from China in foreign markets. It's a really insightful episode, not only regarding China but also global business best practices. Also, I'm happy to announce that this episode is sponsored by Hexcubes, an incubator in Shenzhen that has helped over 40,000 returnees to start and develop their business in China. They have great facilities and startup services in Shenzhen, so if you're looking for a contact, I'll link their info in the show notes. I hope you enjoy this episode and thank you so much for tuning in. I'm ready. <laughs> okay, cool. So let's start. Uh, hi, Nick. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me, Isan. Cool. Do you want to introduce yourself? Sure, yeah. My name is Nick Kinports, and I'm the CEO of Smartware Group. And uh, where are you from? Like, where's your background? Yeah, uh, what did you do okay. so far in life? Yeah, um, well, that's a long story. Um, I'm uh, I'm 36 now, so I'll just do the most recent. That way <laughs> okay. We don't have to spend the whole podcast on, <laughs> okay. on that. But I'm from the USA, um, Chicago. And um, that's the Midwest for any Chinese folks that haven't been over there before, <laughs> the middle of the country. Um, and I started coming to China about a year ago uh, because we were getting into e-commerce for electronics. And I wanted to find out where our electronics were coming from and actually go track down the supply chain and, and learn all that. So we kind of had a trade mission and came over and started to learn. And then I've been coming back a lot ever since. Cool. And how did you like it so far? Good. I like China. Okay. Yeah. I've had some experience in other parts of Asia, Korea, uh, Japan mm -hmm. um, for business, but China is by far the best, I think, for business. Mm -hmm. We got a lot done here in a short time, so. Cool. Yeah, very happy with that. That's nice. That's good. And yeah, do you want to give a little bit of background, like what your business is about? Yeah, you could kind of call us a startup, though we're not truly that because I started the company maybe eight years ago. So Smartware is a, is a company that um, it does, we we do a lot of different things. Um, there are four uh, there are four partners that make up the company, and then a number of employees around the world. And basically, what we do is um, we're a vertically integrated um, manufacturer and retailer of consumer electronics and other products now too, like kitchenware and, and things like that. Basically, what that means is um, we create the brands, and a lot of them are made here in Shenzhen, products like uh, speakers, headphones, and um, other kind of upscale, I would consider, types of products. And then we, um, we ship those to warehouses that we own and operate um, all over the world. Mm -hmm. And right now, we focus on um, North America, so Canada, USA, Mexico, um, and then EU with base in London. Uh, and we just opened up India as well, which we're very excited to um, start to work with, as well as Dubai. So the Middle East, GCC countries, and, and now India have become 
um, a focus for us. So uh -huh. we'll be shipping products to those countries and we'll be selling them in some of the places that everybody knows about, like Amazon and eBay and those types of things, but also on our own websites that we own and operate too. And that's where most of our sales actually come from. So we, we try to own every step in the um, supply chain and delivering the goods to the customer as best we can but we're still pretty small so you know that doesn't always work out we have a lot of partners that help us deliver products around the world wow that sounds like a massive um, amount of work and uh, also yeah a, a massive project in a way because as you said you're taking care of all the different steps from sourcing quality control yeah. and then marketing logistics everything so I mean how did it how did you get started like what was the initial point where you were like okay I'm going to China I just made mm. up my mind I'm taking a plane and I'm starting to yeah start. well so I my career has mostly been in um, advertising and marketing and um, at some point maybe four or five years ago I started to become very interested in e-commerce and selling things to people online uh, that were my things, right? Not our clients' things for, for advertising and marketing. So we started to find different markets and look around and what ended up happening was quite by accident, we settled on headphones as uh, an opportunity to um, kind of get into a segment that wasn't so crowded at the time. Bluetooth headphones were just starting to get good, so the technology was at the right moment. And so we stepped into that and we started to actually see some great sales come out of um, the e-commerce channels for headphones. And so basically we went from more of an affiliate model where we were selling other people's headphones that they list on Amazon, taking commission from that to um, kind of OEM model. And then to eventually deciding we're going to create brands ourselves. Uh, and so that of course requires coming to China. Mm -hmm. So that's why I initially came is to, to learn about that business and our audio engineer, um, from the United States and he's done a lot of work in China so he kind of took us and we did a we did a big tour of the Shenzhen area and I'd never mm -hmm. been before so that was my first introduction to Shenzhen and what's going on and kind of learning about manufacturing in China mm -hmm. so I still don't know much I would say I have a lot to learn but um, I, learned, I know a lot more than I did a year ago <laughs> that's good yeah I think it's kind of surprising to many people who come here for the first time to see how many things are actually manufactured mm -hmm. here and how many things they um, do. I'm, I'm just curious, for example, for your headphones, um, for the, let's say, like technical um, details, is, are the, is the quality in Shenzhen like compared to the rest of the world, like can they compare? Well, this is something that we've been, I, I've been pretty consumed with over the last uh, maybe four or five months. What, what I'm seeing is, and I visited a lot of factories. I do a lot of factory meetings um, every day. I just came from one actually. And, uh -huh. you know, we look at everything from the production process to the design, to the quality control, all the usual things. Um, and these are factories that are used to, for, from a business perspective, finding customers and then creating OEM products to fit their needs or, you know, custom mold or something they've already made. They show it at, you know, an electronics fair and then they want to sell 10,000, 20,000 of those to you. Um, 
And those products are okay. Um, they're pretty good. Um, they don't typically have a, a roadmap or a vision beyond that specific product. So these factories will make a mold, make something, and then see if it works or not. Uh-huh. And they let other people put their brand on on that product and then uh-huh. export it and sell it. Now what I'm finding is maybe one in every, I don't know, hundred or maybe it's more than that. And I've just been lucky. Maybe it's more like one in a thousand factories I visit are starting to make their own brands uh-huh. and they're, and, and I know that's happened in the past, but what I'm seeing are very, very unique and high quality products that have, have started to, to show up. and. These factories make their own brand, and then they even reorganize their company to to be entirely focused around uh, creating and then selling that specific brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they do it right, I mean, it's pretty it's pretty amazing. The technology is already here, the engineering is here. I think the design maybe in the past was part of the issue, mm-hmm. and now design is getting very good here too. So we're seeing really well-designed products with very, very cutting-edge specs and um, the ability to not just make one product, but make an entire family of products so that you really have you know, a true, a true brand identity. Um, and that's pretty cool to see. So when we find those, we want to work with them very badly. And um, we can help them immediately do the next phase of building a brand, which is uh, actually getting it outside of China bringing it to the rest of the world and then marketing it like one actual single entity, mm-hmm. no matter what country you're in. Um, so we've we've had a couple of partnerships start that way that I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that, they'll, that they're going to be, you know, very lucrative for both parties. But um, I think that early, early signs are that these are very good products and it's going to work out. So I'm excited. Cool. So basically that means you do um, like two different things in a way. So you, if if the factory is already as um, developed in a way that they already have this whole branding thing going on, then you can help them to enter the foreign markets. And if they don't, is it that you you just think of a brand basically for you create a brand yourself and then take these products to the foreign market? Yeah, we do a lot of research um, and thanks to um, the internet, we have so much data available uh, mm-hmm. to us. So we'll we'll do the research to find where there are gaps in the market where we can easily enter. And you know, even though we started in electronics, we branched out quite a bit. So audio products was one thing, but now we're doing some wearables um, for the India market, for example. And um, now we're also doing kitchenware too, which, you know, those two things don't seem like they go together, but um, we just found that there was a great opportunity for a specific type of kitchenware. And so we created a brand to fill that need. And, you know, we, in that case, we look for um, very high quality factory partners to work with in China. So is the process usually first you think of a thing that would be interesting or you do the research that people are looking for something and there's no um, supply or is it the other way around that you like scout some factories here and also check out new products and then um, see which market could be suitable? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. It's actually happened both ways because we do go to a lot of fairs and you know we look at those places for standouts or somebody doing something that's 
different or interesting. Um, and that started, we started to see, we started to see those things pop up at last year's fall Hong Kong electronic show. Uh -huh. And so we identified a couple of companies there that we eventually ended up creating a, a exclusive agreement with where we basically co-own the brand. They focus on making the product and we focus on getting it sold directly to consumers. So we're not doing like wholesaling with them because they want to get out of that business and mm -hmm. into direct to consumer. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. Mm. I feel like it's kind of like a next step in evolution of exporting from China because back in the day, maybe people would just take anything that's just not available mm. in, in the foreign markets and just like ship it and don't care at all about like a sustainable brand image or, right. you know, customer loyalty and things like that. And also like developing their product line. So that's maybe really a good, um, yeah, good next step in, in doing business with China. So it's not only, you know, find a factory, buy a bunch of products and then just ship them, but more like, you know, think of the whole um, ecosystem. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of these companies, they have a target in mind. You know, they want to be, um, you know, like like an Apple or something like that, where they they know they can do it. They know the quality is there and they believe in their product. So they're ready to invest in it. And when they're ready to invest in their own product, we know it's very high quality. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to waste their own money. Mm -hmm. And so we're willing to help help take risk on the marketing side and we'll typically you know pay for the global marketing and distribution of, of that brand if if it's you know if we think it's workable mm -hmm. and um, that's good too because then they see we're spending our resources on marketing their brand and bringing it to the rest of the world so it feels i think to to the factory is pretty fair and you know we can you know, we can kind of work with each other to see to see how it goes. But so far, that's been, I think, pretty pretty successful for us. Mm -hmm. How is your relationship, or kind of like, how's your experience with talking to these factories? Like, is there mm. usual usually a kind of like basic trust level given because they think, oh, you know, we can research uh, your agency or your company, mm -hmm. and we mm -hmm. already, you know, have this basic trust? Or is it mostly like that they have very different kinds of ideas how to work together? It's gone both ways, I think. It's sometimes difficult if um, the factory isn't in the right mindset. Mm -hmm. And by that I mean they may kind of have a vision of creating their own brand, but they're still thinking like a factory, which is all about very, very tight margins and, you know, making sure that volume is constantly flowing and, you know, there's just a lot of precision to that due to the due to the smaller margins. But in direct-to-consumer, you know, maybe if your regular factory has a 14% margin, 20% margin, something like that, they're doing pretty good. And as long as they can ramp up volume and keep those margins high, that they're going to be pretty well off. But when you talk about direct-to-consumer, the margins go up to like 50%. So that's something that is obviously very interesting to them. But even if we take a number like that and say, well, we'll you know, kind of work on this together and we can we can split that, they're still making way more than they would the other way. So 
this is obviously very interesting. Anybody that, you know, if I came into anywhere and said I can triple your margin, that's going to be very exciting to talk about further. And the risk is pretty low. So usually we have a, a good conversation and uh, we can, you know, we can move on from there. We've hired, um, we've hired full-time people now in Shenzhen that are Chinese. And so, you know, we can kind of lean on them to help us make sure that we're, um, you know, having good like cultural relations and there's not miscommunication because you know, contracts and global trademarking and all that's so it's pretty complicated so mm-hmm. um, that's been helpful too mm-hmm. that's great because I don't speak any Chinese <laughs> not yet no not yet I'm <laughs> are sure you planning I will. to learn it I'm sure I would like to yes okay I would want things slow down a little bit if they ever do I would like to <laughs> nice that's yeah. interesting yeah me too I, I'm still trying to I always tell myself next year <laughs> right <laughs> Um, okay, very interesting. Um, so, uh, speaking of your team, I'm really curious about like your team structure. So sure. you, you said now you have people in, in China as well, and yeah. um, in the US, Europe, India. Like, mm-hmm. how many people in total are involved in your team, and what are usually like their responsibilities? Well, it depends on what day you ask me. Um, <laughs> but today, you know, we we do have a number of um, full time people, and most of them are in the US and India. Uh, and then we have a lot of contractors as well, mm-hmm. and that's where the ambiguity comes in when mm-hmm. people ask, you know, how big are we? But I would say somewhere around a hundred people are involved on a daily basis in our in our operations worldwide. So it's still pretty small um, considering the footprint that we have. But uh, technology has made it really easy to uh, manage and deploy all this. Um, I have a lot of apps that I can just look at things from all the time, which is, right? Oh, that's pretty easy because you can do that anywhere. So our warehouses are all connected. We can see inventories. We can see orders. Um, You know, we have kind of customer service setups and we have, um, you know, all of our marketing usually flows through Facebook and Google and Amazon and places like that, you know, all of which are non-existent in China. Mm -hmm. But... um, for the rest of the world, that's how we would get consumers interested in our products in the first place. Mm-hmm. Great. Actually, the other day when I talked to uh, another guest, um, she mentioned that she gets a lot of customers through Instagram as well. So I'm, I'd really be curious um, because as she mentioned, like Chinese returnees who have studied or lived abroad or worked abroad, uh, when they come back to China, they still want to stay connected and they usually like continue using Instagram and it's kind of like a a gateway to maybe the rest of the world. So I really wonder if that has a big impact on also like things like branding, because I feel like, um, for example, for our coffee business, um, there was a grinder. It was a manual grinder um, made in Germany and it was like kind of like the best grinder in the world too like that was used in competitions and everything mm-hmm. and people in China were super crazy about it like it was so famous like not everybody obviously but people in the specialty coffee um, world and I think that's so interesting sometimes because I feel like uh, Chinese um, customers also ex- like know so much already about foreign brands um, even though they're not really active in the Chinese market at all or like not active on Chinese social media but probably they got the information through yeah Instagram anyways or you know other channels yeah I've heard that younger um, Chinese people are traveling a lot more now and that's become like sort of luxury travel and those types of things are are really um, are really becoming a lot more common 
um, for people who can afford to. Mm. And they probably bring ideas back with them. That's my guess. I mean, mm. I bring a lot of ideas back with me every time I come to China or, or other places. So it, it makes it makes a lot of sense. And I think also people having more time to focus on ideas has helped too. So a great example of this is sort of the startup and tech scene that's happening in Shenzhen right now where people, young people are transitioning from, you know, what they might have worked in factories 10 years ago. Now they can come into the city, get a WeWork or, you know, hex cubes, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah. And then they can start to um, try and build something. Mm. And I think that probably that's resulted in a lot of you know new ways of thinking about things like marketing and branding where they never had to before and that's good mm -hmm. um, because clearly you know something is changing where China is creating things that are um, you know, certainly you know, I would put them in the same league as many of the other household brand names uh, so it's just a matter of how do, how do the world how does the world perceive those types of products and sometimes it can be as simple as we just may go in and rewrite a product's manual because there's just too many grammatical issues. The product is awesome, the packaging is beautiful, everything looks like a very high quality product but there's that one detail. Mm -hmm. So um, sometimes things like that are really the only remaining like rough spots on an otherwise really, really awesome um, brand or, or product. Mm. Yeah, um, do you know, for example, Insta360, um, it's like the, I think the top leading uh, 360 camera, which is commercialized. Yes. And yep. this one is also from Shenzhen, I think. I think the uh, founder started the company at like 22 or something. Yeah. Um, and I think these kind of people are usually, yeah, like retinees who studied probably in Silicon Valley. Or like yeah, maybe other, that's possible. Yeah. And there are a lot of Silicon Valley people here too. Mm -hmm. So um, they're also you know bringing their way of thinking um, here and you know we, we are too so one example of how we do that is uh, we have a work from home policy and so if you work with us in Shenzhen you can work from home and which is really nice because in the past for example if you have kids or something like that it may be really difficult for you to hold down an office job uh, with a Chinese company that's just not the way they work but we have um, processes and tools and things that we brought from the West that uh, make it actually really doable to mm -hmm. work from home mm -hmm. and we can you know kind of keep things moving so uh, that probably also allows that person to have more time to think about things and you know have the mental energy to uh, create better ideas and, and stuff and I, th I think it's it's um, potentially really good for more of that to happen here and less um, driving time. Less driving less time. time oh, less yes, time stuck yes. in the traffic jams yes. of Shenzhen, which are already kind of annoying in the rush hour times. Um, okay, so how did that? Um, how did, how was your experience hiring in China and like generally, you know, intercultural communication mm. with your employees and then you know communicating what you want to them so they can communicate it to your partners and suppliers here? Did that all go smooth or? Well, I think we've been very lucky um, and, and fortunate that we've met uh, a lot of great people here. And um, so we've been able to leverage a network to help us find people. And our first hire here, for example, um, was recommended to us from uh, another 
business owner who had worked with her for maybe seven or eight years and I was kind of explaining over coffee exactly what it was we were trying to do and he immediately thought of her and said I think she's looking for something now you know so so we just had the trust right away mm -hmm. and she did too and so that was a great you know way to start and now um, you know when we do look for somebody um, you know we have actually a network of folks that we can just or say, hey, do you know anybody that's mm. doing this? There's so many people here that somebody knows somebody. Mm -hmm. And so usually we can we can find somebody pretty quickly. Mm. That's great. Yeah, I feel like referrals are always the best way to find always good people. Yep. Um, because websites or job apps or something, you know, there's just... <laughs> sometimes people are not so, like truthful and maybe the information they put in or maybe it's just not the right thing you're looking for maybe it sounds like the right thing but then again it's not so yeah it's always better to get a referral cool so do you want to talk a, a little bit about your products as well um like what what is your range of products more be more more detail like what are sure. the usps and well yeah I'll, I'll tell you just a little bit about them i don't want to um i don't want to focus on selling our stuff because in <laughs> fact if you're listening to this in china you can't really buy any of it anyway uh but you know if you're abroad then you i think probably... most of our listeners are probably in germany and like if i looked at the statistics also a lot of them are in the okay US. good well we just started selling in germany uh maybe a couple of weeks ago cool uh, yeah Yay. so good good i think we had our first order go to Munich but oh nice yeah I can't remember but I think it was <laughs> Munich so um, basically our idea is that um, you know we want to we want to fill a need in in many markets where you have luxury products that are very high-end and um, typically quite expensive and then you have cheap kind of low-end products that while they fulfill the need and you can get them easily on Amazon or somewhere like this, they're kind of not nice to look at and, you know, maybe don't really do that great of a job. They might break in a year or something like that. You got to replace them. Uh, and headphones are a great example. So at the very high end, you know, you might see Bose or Bang & Olufsen as kind of market leaders with this very expensive, um, you know, over your headphone or noise canceling or things like that and then at the very low end of the spectrum you've just got a million things you can go uh -huh. to watch on bay and see like all of them sitting there <laughs> in the bins and you know that they're very cheap and they're also probably not that great mm. um, comparatively right but then there's not a lot sitting in the middle between those two things in the consumer electronics space and I don't really know why that is but um, I think our opportunity is to find or build things that fill that need. So design is uh, very top of mind for me. The look and feel of the product, um, the quality of the materials used, the durability of it, those types of things. And then, you know, specs, that's okay too. Most people don't really understand electronic specs anyway, so it's all marketing for mm. the most part, right? Yeah. Um, it just has to actually work well and, and, you know, in the case of like an audio product, sound good or sound the way you want it to. And then just overall, the, the, um, the nexus of where price kind of cost of making something like that meets a quality standard. It's good enough for people to say, wow, this is better than anything else out there, but it's it's cheap, right? Mm. It's, it's less expensive than what I was expecting. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that strategy is 
we, you know, we're looking in China specifically as they begin to make higher quality things and focus on design more. We're, we're, that's where we're seeing opportunities. So bringing those products to the world, bringing those products to the EU, and then seeing what happens is part of kind of part of the plan for the next two to three years. And, and some of these brands will probably not work out in certain markets. If we do our job right, they'll all work out somewhere. Mm. So we have to kind of experiment quite a bit and understand typically when we do a first run, we send things to every market mm -hmm. and then we put in smaller quantities and we kind of wait and see how things go. And then we'll optimize from there. Um, for the next for the next order. Mm -hmm. How long is usually your like testing phase? Like how how long how much of a time will you give it? Like a month or a year until yeah, you I, say okay, it's worth it. No, it's that's a good question. I think I think maybe two to three months. You know mm -hmm. when something's working and when something's not. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are a lot of issues with customer service as well that can come up. So you need time for those to to kind of settle out and. You know, if a product isn't so great after a year, I may not know about that yet. So mm -hmm. some of it you just have to wait for. But I think if you can find people that are genuinely obsessed with the quality of their own manufactured product, you're going to kind of cut out a lot of that issue in the first place. And then, you know, we'll see, we'll see like the sales volume. We've never had a complete loser product, right? Mm -hmm. Something that lost us money, which is great. We've yeah. only been at this for relatively a short time, but at the same time, that's encouraging to me. It says we're, we're selecting correctly and, you know, we're picking the right partners and quality is, is in fact good. Um, so at that point, it's just a, it's a matter of scaling up that operation. Mm -hmm. So we'll send a thousand things to Germany, try it out. And the next time then we're going to send, you know, once we find out what works as many as we can mm -hmm. in that category or that, that particular skew. Um, and hopefully that's a model that can scale worldwide. The only places we really haven't focused on yet are Australia and Africa. Africa for us is very exciting and um, this is a market that has traditionally been underserved by higher quality goods and we think that you know the next three to five years there should be a pretty big opportunity there and actually China has a lot to do with that because of all the infrastructure projects they're putting together there and kind of you know the overall industry that's happening right now as a result of the of, uh, expansion into into Africa as a as a business opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, someone told me the other day that um, there's this Chinese uh, phone brand that developed a um, type of phone specifically for Africa, mm -hmm. who has better photographing qualities when it comes to like darker skin tones. So yeah. it's it's so interesting um, that Chinese brands already <laughs> pick up this um, trend and focus on the market. Yeah, I, I think a lot of companies. Are, are working on or, or have already come out with um, products that are really made for the African market and um, that can mean a lot of things for example building electronics that work regardless of um, an unstable power grid so building solar solar powering options to portable devices is something that um, you know you need to do in a market like that mm -hmm. and um, so there's a lot of different Kind of things that come with uh, building something for that market but if you do it right you can sell quite a bit uh, because there just aren't a lot of people uh, trying to compete there right now in that space 
it's mm-hmm. from electronics anyway. Um, and there are, you know, a lot of other um, categories of products that probably have the same thing. That's just the one that I know, I know the best. So a lot of people, I think, doing interesting things in Africa coming up. So, mm. Cool. We're looking forward to that. Um, speaking of your, um, like you, like you just described the situation, like the segment, the market segment, kind of like I would call it a really, really good like price value ratio product type mm-hmm. of segment. I've really noticed that in China, this is a thing that's really coming up. Like, of course, like rich Chinese people love luxury brands, and poor Chinese people love like really, really cheap things. But I've really experienced that, like the. Um, these products, for example, you know, like um, Minisu or like mm. just brands that don't look super bad uh, or products that don't look super bad and don't look super cheap and are kind of like have a nice design element to them. Um, but th- I feel like it doesn't make sense really to make a luxury brand out of anything or I feel like that's what Chinese customers sometimes think. And these types of products I think are really successful here in a way. So I see everybody just using them and buying them and they're <laughs> Yeah. I, I've got a little show and tell for you here. This, okay. is, this is a power bank, which is you know something that is pretty commoditized at this point, right? And so mm-hmm. this particular one is um, that I'm holding in my hand. I think it is 12,000 milliamps, which is pretty good size. Mm-hmm. And I'll charge your phone up quite a few times. Uh, but take a look there. Just it's um, it's got an all metal housing. It's it's actually quite beautiful and quite heavy as well. Yeah, like, I yeah. Mean, that's doesn't seem to do with the size of the battery for yeah. sure. Uh, but this this is a uh, factory that, that we found that is actually producing this brand um, on their own, mm-hmm. and they didn't really have a customer for it. They just decided they were going to make a better power bank. And what I love about this is it kind of looks like a MacBook almost. It's, <laughs> you know, it's really like nice to feel and touch. The technology yeah. is great. It's got USB-C. Mm-hmm. It's got two USB ports there. And, um, you know, it just, it works really nicely. The same company has also started to create other things along that same line. So I'm also now, for people listening, holding a um, USB cable. And this USB cable is actually um, stainless steel on the outside. So okay. just go ahead and uh, take a look Ooh. at that. The cool. USB side can actually be plugged in either way, so you don't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. And then um, if you look, like a cord usually fails at the connector where the cord, and we've all had this happen, right? Mm. This part starts to fray where the where the plug is because you're you're constantly pulling it in and out because mm. people grab the cord. Mm-hmm. They don't grab that. So just go ahead and grab the cord and just pull. You're not actually pulling the cord, you're pulling the metal coil oh, around it. Yeah. And you can do that from anywhere on the device. That's It'll, really smart. I've never seen it before. Uh, no one I've showed it to has. It'll never break, as far as I can tell. I mean, yeah. I'm sure at some point will fail, but much, That's much crazy. longer than any other, much longer lifespan than it. And it looks cool too. Mm. It doesn't tangle. And, comes with this little thing. A lot of thinking went into that. Mm-hmm. Well, the same factory owner wasn't really done with cords and power banks. He's also started to make a <laughs> line of bags. Wow. Which, this is, um, I'm holding the bag now. Yeah. This is one that we're currently 
working on with him. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, you know, a nice waterproof kind of tech bag. Mm -hmm. But the construction is just like so solid. Mm. And all these details are are just really put together nicely. Maybe yeah. you can take a picture of it and then yeah. know, put it up uh, for people to look at later. But yeah. it's, it's quite good. And if you saw this, you know, you definitely would say some western brand mm. manufactured this and you know you might not even guess it was made in china whoa this one even like the zipper bag at the back side yeah, for yeah. like storing it's, things securely yeah just grab that yeah. and feel how solid it is it's just yeah. super solid it's like the um yeah the stitching and everything is super good mm -hmm. Whoa. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. And I feel like these products, they don't want to be like luxury products because um, it doesn't make sense, but they don't want to be cheap products and they just want to have a really good like yeah. price value ratio. None and of this is cheap for them to make. And mm. believe it or not, the same factory that's doing this is also making the bag, doing the power bank, making the bag, mm -hmm. making the cords and they make a lot of other things too. And they've created different lines for all this within their factory, which is usually not the case. Mm. So to me, this is like, this is one factory owner and he has a vision mm. for this brand and he wants this brand to be competitive on a global scale. And he's even gone out and registered trademarks mm. in all the markets Whoa. for this. So they're investing, you know, outside of just, you know, making a lot of things at the lowest possible price point to, to make a higher margin there. And this, this was not, uh, easy to make mm. and it probably costs a lot of money to invest to, to get it to the stage so now we can come in and kind of talk about how to take this to the next the next step for them mm. um, and then we can also share in the in the profits of that almost yeah. like a joint venture um, that's great it's great that you ran into each other because you can both profit off each other yeah well yeah we 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 meet a lot of people here. That's mm. part of what we do. We mm. just come and we start to look. Um, we just we go to places like Wachan Bay and we walk around. Mm -hmm. And so before long, you see, you know, you'll see things, and mm -hmm. you start to track it down. Mm. Okay, eventually cool. you'll, you know, get to the the source, right? Yeah. Um, also, okay, so that's a good tip. Like, just go to Watchung Bay if you want to find good products. Go there and just spend a lot of time and effort, probably. Exactly. Yeah, because most products there are, you know, fine, but they're not. You're not going to see this just sitting around. Yeah. You got to really yeah. look, and I think, I think these guys we found it maybe a store that sells, I don't know, a thousand different power banks and this one is just kind of sitting there. So, mm. you know, you see something and then, okay, I wonder what else this person has. Mm. And it turns out quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And a dream, too, of like not being an OEM anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think now his business is um, almost 60% um, selling their own brand directly to consumers and they found a couple markets like um, I believe Thailand mm. is, is a market that for some reason they must have had a relationship there or something and so now they're selling all these products directly to customers in Thailand and not necessarily to, to retail stores um, but that's really great yeah I think it is it's a great it's a great story and there are more out there yeah we're gonna find them all <laughs> that's a good mission <laughs> yeah yeah um I have so many more questions we're already <laughs> yeah quite far in um 
One of the questions I wanted to ask was, um, how do you deal with the customer service? If you operate in so many different countries, you have a wide variety of products. Yeah, cu that customer services can be challenging because um, unfortunately, I mean, if you're a consumer, the world is great right now. You can buy online and have it delivered immediately to you. And if there's anything wrong with it, chances are the company you bought it from, you can just send it right back and you'll get your money back and there'll be no problems. And that's changed the way consumers feel about buying online. They, they have high expectations. Mm. We're not Amazon and so we can't compete with them on things like um, you know, you, you use something for two years and decide it's no good anymore and you send it back and you get your money. We can't do that. So um, we, we have to we have to work really hard on customer service and making sure that we can at least get most of the way there. So for example, in the US and, and in the EU now, we offer two to four day shipping times, which is pretty good. Um, that's not same day, but you know, we're working on it and we do that for free, right? So that's included in your purchase. Um, you can pay more if you want express shipping, if you want it faster. Hardly anyone ever does though. Um, and we're also offering insurance products now too. So if you buy from us in the United States, uh, you'll find that you can also get a warranty at checkout, which is starting to become more common. But this is an actual policy that we worked with an insurance carrier to write, mm -hmm. and you can pick one, two, or three years. Wow. And you must be really confident in your products. <laughs> well, I, you know, it's, that's up to the insurance company actually, because they have okay. to take a look at these things and underwrite those. And okay. um, we get to. We get to offer that, and if um, if a customer drops it and breaks it, even if it gets stolen, they can go to that policy and, and get their money back or get a return mm -hmm. unit. And um, that has been working out pretty well. People like that idea, and it gives them more confidence and those types of things. But we have had a lot of customer service issues where somebody decides to buy like three things and that with their intent all along is they only want to keep one. Mm. And so they're just testing and then they want to return the other two. Mm. And we don't allow that. And so you get into these issues where that's what people are used to. And, you know, for, for us, it's it, we have to make a profit mm, to continue sure. growing this business. And yeah. we can't lose on a product because people just like to return things. Yeah, customers are so spoiled in a way. Like they will order clothes, like a, a big box of clothes and try them all on, wear them for a night out, yeah. wash them and just return them. It's, it's, it's true. And, and in countries in the Middle East, um, it, they, they take it even a step further where it's typically cash on delivery. So the customer doesn't even pay until we ship the goods to their wow. house. They get the goods at their house and then they give cash to the delivery person. What? Yeah, crazy. and that's kind of a standard practice in places like uh, the United Arab Emirates, and you have to work within that system. Wow. So things like returns can be challenging to, to handle when mm -hmm. it's cash on delivery. There are other players in the middle then because that cash has to find its way from the delivery person <laughs> back to our bank somehow, and yep. you know that's that can be that can be challenging. Um, but, mm. So I think part of our strategy is picking products that people don't want to return. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody would say that if you're selling something, you certainly don't want people to return it. But, you know, you've got to really meet a high standard for that to happen. 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I think if we pursue that route and we go for kind of the upper level of that middle market where we're not quite luxury, but we're much more luxurious than commodity style products. Mm-hmm. Power Bank's a good example because there's so many of these mm-hmm. and they all have the exact same specs. Mm. So Yeah, but like just things like that, like the design or some other outlets. Yeah, or, I would set this yeah. on my desk right at the office and mm. be fine with that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, yeah. yeah. So you, you, you mentioned also that you want to enter the Chinese market as well, right? Yeah, China's, it's a really interesting market. Um, for us, what, what we keep, as, as we talk to more Chinese business owners, we keep hearing that they want us to find these same high quality product types made in other places and bring them into China. Mm-hmm. So that's different, right? Mm-hmm. And um, we're not really set up to do that, but we are starting a pilot program now on WeChat where we hired um, a person in China to manage a WeChat presence and start to grow that as an e-commerce platform. And we're going to test with a few products in the beginning and you know, carefully kind of step into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll probably learn a lot and know what to do you know, next after we get our hands in a little bit more. Mm-hmm. For me, not being able to read Chinese and not having ever used a lot of the social networks and apps that Chinese people use every day, it's hard for me to even understand the mindset of the Chinese customer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm starting to know a little bit more and I see that there's a need for sort of new things and, you know, I would say beyond just luxury products, foreign-made, high-quality products are, are of interest. And that includes everything from food, wine, to clothing and electronics, too, believe mm-hmm. it or not. Even though it's all made here, you know, there are certain aspects of, of companies that are, that are making products elsewhere. And I, I did come across recently a headphones company in Portland, Oregon, that is, they're actually making their product. I went to their factory because I didn't believe that they were making these headphones <laughs> in America. They were making them there. Okay. Actually, that was real. I, I saw everything. And then um, their number one market is China. Whoa. Yeah. Yep. That's very interesting. I feel like in China, it's just basically you need to find the right target group for whatever you want to, mm-hmm. um, you know, sell. Because um, I feel like the difference in customer is just so much wider than, for example, in our markets. For example, what I mean is the average German is kind of like not far from the average, you know, like even if they live like in the countryside or even if they're younger or older or whatever, I mean, of course the the difference is, yeah, 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 but it's just all a little bit more similar than in China. In China, you actually have like so many different people who have so many different experiences and different expectations and um, preferences. So I just feel like you, yeah, but that's what everybody tells you. You can't see it as a whole market and one like one big it's not one big market it's kind of like shattered into different kind of yeah well we're gonna have to learn about that and you know our our philosophy is that we move quickly and let the data kind of show us what to do next Mm -hmm. and that's worked out pretty well and i think that it will probably happen that same way in china if we are successful Mm -hmm. So we'll see, but I'm excited because it's a big, big market and everyone here is, um, is a consumer and that's, you know, it's similar, very similar to, uh, America in that regard. People love to buy things. 
Mm. And they love to buy things online. Mm. And so just showing up is kind of, you're, you're going to make your money, at least start to make your money by being present. You just may not know what it's going to be on mm. in the end, right? <laughs> mm. So, um, and I think that'll probably continue to, to continue as China maybe turns a corner and, and becomes more of a, um, more of a thinking like ideation type of culture, which is, you know, why we have on um, every Apple product designed in California, right? It's made over here though. <laughs> but now I think we're going to see designed in, in Shenzhen or designed in Shanghai coming up a lot more in many places, many mm. types of product segments, mm -hmm. which is a very good thing. Mm. Yeah, they are really crazy about shopping. Like, did you hear about the 11-11 thing? Singles Day? Yeah, Singles yeah. Day, 11th of November, where basically in front of our house, the whole street was just packed with parcels. They were stacked on top of each other. You couldn't even use the sideway. You had to walk on the like, street where the cars are driving because it was just full of packages. I think I saw a picture you put on... Um on WeChat yeah, 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 yeah. It was crazy. It was really crazy. The only downside is, of course, the discounts, which are not perfect for um, some companies. But I mean, if you calculate it right, you can still. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's it's a tough. That's a tough game to be in when you're when you have margins that are already exactly. thin. You have to give something fifty percent off. Hmm. Yeah. I think it also teaches people to wait to buy things until those times and then... Yeah, 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 for so, sure. It trains the customer's behavior. Yeah, yep, that's true. Mm -hmm. But th that, that said, you know, you don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. You can focus, you know, qu a quality product, a, a true, you know, well-made product, I think, will always have a market, assuming it's, you know, relevant to the times and people who appreciate that will will buy it people that are just looking for a deal probably aren't our best customers anyway yeah and so we sort of let that go for mm -hmm. now i guess if we get big enough where there are no more customers in that um you know the, that appreciative segment and we have to like <laughs> look in other places that's fine at that point because we'll have such a big company it won't even matter exactly we'll, you'll have other things to work yeah it'll be fine it'll be fine and we've seen companies do that we watched pretty closely uh, a company called Gearbest, which is actually based here in shenzhen and um i originally came across them because they reached out to me uh when i was in the usa and they wanted to talk about some marketing and some other things like that and i realized that the guy I was talking to is sitting in Shenzhen. And I said, well, okay, can I come see your office? And he said, sure, come on. And I figured by looking at the company's website at the time, it was like a, you know, 20 people in a room. That company has 4,000 people working for it. And basically all they do is go around and find products in the factories in, in the surrounding, you know, Shenzhen, Dongguan, all those places. And they bring the, they just place an order, get them in the warehouses, sell them. And um, they were like just a few people not that long ago, several years ago. So I think it can move pretty quick. Mm. I saw the vision there, okay, like it, the possibility. Um, and they have Chinese teams that are broken out by country. So you'll see if you go to their office that um, they have rows of desks, like the open, typical open floor plan tech office, but there are country flags above each row. And all those people are just working on that one country so there's one for Germany and Italy you know all the mm. all the countries and that's a pretty interesting way to 
to handle an e-commerce marketing operation. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't expect that, but mm-hmm. here we are. <laughs> Interesting. Cool. So, okay, let's uh, maybe keep it a little bit shorter. Let's just do two more questions. Okay. Or any, I mean, if there's anything else you want to talk about, just address the topic. But I wanted to ask you, um, basically, what are like tips that you could give people who are looking into trading or building brands from Chinese products or buying products from China, things like that. Are there any tips you think you learned along the way that could be helpful to other people? I don't know. I don't know how helpful I can be, but I would say that the more time you spend here, the better. Okay. So, th- I mean, that's already a first important tip. Be here. Yes. Because I feel like people sometimes just literally buy products from Alibaba and then you have like samples shipped over to the of course, US. Of course. And then you place a mass order and then 50% are broken or not as yeah, expected. Yeah. You really need to um, do your due diligence and also not just uh, product-wise but culturally understand who the people are that are working on your products in the factory. Um, it makes a difference. As I learn more, I start to get better at you know, looking for things, talking to people, asking questions, and you know, ultimately making deals that are um, you know, pretty, pretty big. Mm-hmm. big deals in a time when you know I look at our my, my country and it's not being the best international player right now especially with regard to China and yet you know here I am able to kind of like talk business with somebody and we can we can make those deals and you know we can see the the benefit for the future for everybody if we do it right so I feel like showing up is important for a number of reasons mm-hmm. and it's a fun place yeah exactly it's not it's all nice. work yeah, yeah it's not all work <laughs> and they can try some of your excellent coffee when yeah. they come too yeah uh, but that for me has not been the most comfortable thing because it takes a long time and so I'm probably here now four months out of the year mm-hmm. and the rest of the time I'm in other you know our other areas but um you know, that's, that's, a, it's kind of a culture shock. There's a lot of different things here. Mm-hmm. I've learned to love KFC, <laughs> Kentucky Fried Chicken. Really? I heard, I, I'm vegetarian, um, so I never go there, but I heard um, that China KFC is so different from like all it's, countries. It's, it's different, but I think it's better. Oh, yeah, yeah. is it more spicy? There's a little more spice in there, okay. but also just like the chicken is awesome. <laughs> so okay. good, so good. Okay. I only figured that out the last month and I'm like, okay, now I go there too much. Okay. I go to the gym more or less KFC. <laughs> uh, um, um, yeah, so I, I think this, like, it's that much better to do if you don't have a family and these types of things because it's going to be very hard. So if maybe like the younger you are, the better to get this out of the way and then you can, you know, move on and you'll know how to get things done here. Um, and you'll know kind of who you're talking to. Um, okay. So people don't wait around, don't sit at home yeah, waiting another 10 years yeah. to do your first move to China. Well, in 10 years, China will be probably completely different than it is now. Anyway. Yeah. So this advice may be bad at that point. I don't know. <laughs> if you're listening to this 10 years from now, do not take this advice. Go do more research. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Um, I think it leads me to my last question. So what do you think is the most charming thing about China? The most charming thing about China, it's got to be 
It's got to be the people themselves, I think. Um, you know, I've met so many people here, and everyone is incredibly nice and um, generous. And I'll give you an example of this. It was raining in Shenzhen yesterday, and I was without an umbrella and trying to hail a cab in kind of peak rush hour time, which you're never going to get mm. a cab. And, um, a car just pulled up and the guy kind of like waved me into the car and I was just like, uh, you know, I, I didn't order a DD, you know, I'm not, and he kept kind of insisting, I'm like, all right, sure, let's, let's get in the car with this guy and see, which, you know, China's a pretty safe place. So yeah. if somebody's listening in Germany, they're like, what? Mm. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> or America for that matter. But it's safe here, you know, to just interact with people. And he actually took me to where I was going and just, that was it. That was all he was interested in doing. He just saw someone visiting his city, obviously not from here, mm -hmm. in the rain and helped me. That's and, nice. Yeah, and then we exchanged WeChat and just like little, he spoke no English, I don't speak Chinese. <laughs> so it was just like little thumbs up emoji and like, that's it, you know? But that's no that's way. a great, I think that was, that was pretty charming. And that's a good example of a lot of things that have happened here to me personally that, um, you know, make me really excited about doing business here. Cool. Yeah. That's great. That's a really great story. I think you're one of the few people that this has happened to, but... <laughs> maybe, but maybe it's a new trend. You know? Yeah, maybe it's a new thing. Maybe it's yep. a new kind of like do a good deed every day thing. Exactly. Um, okay, nice. Amazing. So if people want to maybe talk to you, collaborate with you or find your products, where could they find them? Sure. So um, they can, well, they can contact me um, on WeChat. That's one easy way to do it. Uh, and my name on WeChat is Nick and I C-K, we, W-E, chats, C-H-A-T-S. And um, you can also look me up on LinkedIn or any place like that. Uh, we have a number of websites because we're a holding company, so it's hard for me to say, mm -hmm. go to this one place. Depending on which market you're in, <laughs> okay. you may go to one of many places. But, um, you know, I hope that uh, it's been helpful for folks that are thinking about doing business here, thinking about e-commerce or anything like that. I'm always happy to talk to more people if they're curious. Cool, amazing. Thank you so much for your time, Nick. It was uh, very insightful. I learned a lot. You are super, how do you call that? You do a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> You're super busy. busy. Yeah, so thank you so much for your time. And um, yeah, it was a great interview and I wish you a good time in Shenzhen. And whenever you're here, let's grab a coffee and <laughs> thank you. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. <laughs>